Well, uh, so glad that you're here. I've really been looking forward to this weekend as we begin this new series. Uh, so if you're joining us for the first time this morning, you're joining us online, uh, it's a great Sunday because we are beginning this brand new series. And one of the biggest reasons that I've been looking so forward to this series is because if we're able to untangle and figure out and uh, get right what we're going to be talking about over the next uh, several weeks, uh, there really is no limit. There's no limit to the positive impact uh, that it will have in your life and the lives of the people around you. And uh, though it might seem a little outrageous or it might seem unrealistic, uh, because again, we're young and we're small as a church, uh, there is no limit to the positive impact that it could have in this city. Because remember, Jesus changed the course of history for the entire planet uh, with a core group of men and women about the size of what our community is right now. Uh, but the converse is also true as well, that if we don't get this figured out, if we don't get this untangled and, and get this right, if we continue to repeat and don't own and don't learn from some of the mistakes of the past, nothing else will, will matter. And what's at stake is the lives and, and the faith of the next generation. And so to kind of get our head around this topic, here's a question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? If, we were, if I were to divide you into groups of 10 and say, okay, in your group of 10, get together and, and each of you define what is a Christian, you might get uh, five, you might get eight different answers. You will not get the same answer. If someone to, were to walk up to you on the street, for many of you, if they were to come and say, are you a Christian, uh, you would say, most of you would say yes, but some of you would go, well, what do you mean? Uh, some of you would say, yes, but. Maybe some, some of you in our community would say, no, but some of you would say, I, I am, but I'm not like this group or that group. Uh, for some of you, the way you were raised, you became a Christian uh, when you prayed a prayer. Some of you were told that you were a Christian because you were baptized as an infant, as a baby. Some of you were told uh, because you finished a class or you finished confirmation that now you're a Christian. Uh, some of you, you were raised in a tradition where you were basically taught that your brand of Christianity was the true brand, uh, right? Like, I don't know about all these other people, but we are the church. Uh, you know, it's like the Presbyterian guy. He dies. He goes to heaven. Peter, because it's always Peter, right? He's giving him a tour. And uh, so he's walking the Presbyterian by, by and you get a, he walked by a big room for a lot of amens and amens and and, uh, you know, well, who, who are those? Well, because it's pretty loud in there. Well, those, those are the Pentecostals, and they, they keep going in, and it's like, uh, and there was some chanting and other things like, who's that? Well, th those are the Catholics, and they start to walk up to this other room, and, and uh, it says, he starts to ask who's in there, and he goes, shh, that's the independent Baptists. They think they're the only ones up here. So, uh, like, but, so, and I'm not just picking on the, them, right? Like, you put whatever denomination you want in there. And some would say, well, I was a Christian. You know, I, w I was raised in a Christian family, or as a teen, I went forward at a service or a camp because they st told some scary car crash story, and like I, so I went forward, and, and you know, for a while I was a Christian, but I'm not anymore, and then there's a group that go, no, 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 there's no such thing as was a Christian, because once a Christian, always a Christian. It doesn't matter if you want it anymore, you just are, and then there's other people go, no, there, there is a was Christian, because you were taught that if you commit certain, certain sins, you were a was Christian, you were out. Uh, and, you know, you remember being 17 and you're coming home from that date where some not 
so Christian things happen, and it's like this non-Christian date, but you're a Christian, so you drive five miles under the speed limit, you get home, you get on your knees, and you pray to God for forgiveness, and that you want to be a Christian again, because you were taught if you died on the way home in a car crash, you're like going straight to hell. So you get home, and you start praying this prayer, because you were told you pray a prayer to become a Christian. And some of you, you prayed that prayer a hundred times, because you weren't sure it took. Like, 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 I prayed that prayer, but then I did this, and I don't think it took. I better pray it again. For some people, Christian is all about what you believe. And then for another group of people, no, 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 it's, it's all about how you behave. And then there's a group of you that you, if you're really honest, uh, and again, we, we often say we're a community where people can belong before they believe, and many do, uh, where you would say, you know, I'm kind of bothered by Christians. And, and in fact, I interact with some people that hate Christians, and they hate anything associated with the term or the word Christian. And maybe some of you have felt that way, or somebody close to you certainly does feel that way. In fact, for you or someone close to you, you would say, in your mind, I might not say it out loud, some people would, here's what a Christian is, is Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they are the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. And again, you, you may not feel that way, but you know people that do. There are people in your life that this is the way they feel. And that's why if somebody walked up and asked you if, if you're a Christian, if you'd say you are, you want to qualify it. Like, 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 before I answer that question, let me tell you what I'm not. Like, you know, I want to get really narrow in. I'm not like this group or that group. Now, the good news, here's the good news and the bad news. The good news is none of all of this of what I've just said is talked about or is described in the Bible as Christian. The bad news is that a good deal of what many of us have been taught about Christianity or being a Christian is just wrong. And I'm going to show you. In fact, after today's message, in the coming weeks, it may be for the first time in a long time, you're going to go home and maybe you've still got that old school Bible that doesn't light up. It's like paper and the imitation leather. You're going to blow out the dust and you're going to go in there and read it to try and prove me wrong. You're going to go, Chad's a heretic and I need to prove it. Uh, and so if I cause you to go and read your Bible, I will consider that a success. So you're going to download that Bible app. It won't show anybody else you've got on your phone. Now, to, to jump in, the term Christian or Christianity, singular or plural, it only appears three times in the Bible. It's only three times, three times in the New Testament. It's not defined. And what we're going to discover today, that the, that the term Christian was actually a derogatory term, uh, that people on the outside of the Jesus community, they created this to, to describe the Jesus community. The Jesus community never used this to describe themselves. It was like nerd or geek or redhead or redhead, uh, redhead. <laughs> Sorry, Aaron. So, uh, <laughs> or redneck or everybody's looking over at you now. So, uh, redneck or goth or, or pothead or whatever. It was like uh, the people group on the outside looking in says, we, we need to, to create a name or label these people. You see, these people, you know, and we have it, you know, people that have the same habits, or they all dress alike, or they listen to the same music, and you look at them and go, wow, I mean, they're not like me, they're so, and then you come up with a name. And then eventually, all the people on the outside that think this group is a little different or weird, they come up with the term, yeah, you're, you're one of those. And they come up with this term, and that's where the term Christian or Christianity came from. That's why it's only used three times in the whole New, Testament, whole New Testament, and each time it's outsiders are referring to outsiders 
And I want to show you the verse that best describes it. It's found in the book of Acts, Acts 11. Uh, now, some of you are new to Bible study. Uh, the book of Acts isn't really a book. It's an ancient manuscript that was combined with other ancient manuscripts to create the New Testament. Acts is written by a doctor. His name was Luke. And it describes what happened after Jesus left and how the church got started. And one of the things that happened after Jesus left was persecution broke out in Jerusalem in, in, against those that were called followers of the way. And they scattered. And some of them went a long way away. In fact, a group of them ended up fleeing 470 miles north to a town a city called Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. And they got there, and they start telling Jewish and Gentile people, hey, God has done something amazing and miraculous in the city of Jerusalem. A man rose from the dead. We saw him, not only us, but others saw him as well. So a bunch of Greek-speaking, Roman-minded people, they begin to embrace this knockoff Jewish religion, and suddenly a church gets started in Antioch. So all the way back in Jerusalem, word gets back, hey, this is happening, and, and, and most of the key leaders had stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't flee. So they find out about this thing going on in Antioch, so they decide to get one of their guys, Barnabas, and they send him up to Antioch to check, out, check it out and find out what's going on. So he, he makes this long journey. He gets up there. By the time he gets there, there are so many people that have embraced the news of Jesus. He's like, I need reinforcements. So he decides, I'm going to go get super follower of Jesus. I'm going to go get Saul, who's eventually called Paul. Saul happened to not be far away, and there's this little piece of scripture that gives us insight into where this whole word Christian comes from, and it's in Acts 11. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. So a great number of pagan Greek-speaking people, uh, they embrace the message of Jesus in Antioch. And then Dr. Luke, he's taking notes through this whole thing, uh, through this whole period of history. He says, the disciples, and we'll come back to that, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The disciples were called Christians by who? By the people on the outside looking in, they were first called Christians at Antioch. It was a term, it was a label put on them. Now, we get further evidence of this fascinating piece of history uh, that's not in the Bible. Some of you are familiar with the Roman historian Tacitus. If you weren't before now, you can leave here today and say you are. You'll look really intelligent. Uh, Tacitus wrote in the late first century. He died in 120 A.D., and he wrote primarily about five Roman emperors. And one of the emperors that he wrote, wrote about was Emperor Nero. In fact, a great deal of what we know about Emperor Nero we get from Tacitus. Now, in 64 AD, Nero decided he wanted to start Rome over and like build this new Rome. And so he thought, I've got a great idea. I'll burn it down. And so he burns it down. And, and you, as you can imagine, burning down people's homes and businesses don't go over really well. So he figured out, I need to blame this on somebody. So he chose to blame this on a group of people. Who did he decide to blame it on? Christians. Now, why could he do that? Because just 30 years, just 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus in a city that's over 2,000 miles away, there were so many Christians in Rome, there was a large enough group of people that they could actually be blamed. And we should be amazed, we should take note of the fact that in a Greek-speaking city in Rome, just 30 years later, there are thousands of Christians in Rome. 
Now, you know all that because of what I'm about to read to you from Tacitus. Here's how he describes this event. Consequently, to get rid of the report that Nero is the one that started the fire, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. And they were called what? Christians. By whom? The populace. See, Christians didn't call themselves Christians. The populace, the people on the outside, they coined this term, a bunch of Christians. Tacitus goes on, Christus, from whom the name had its origin, because all these Roman people, they're looking at this Jewish knockoff religion, and they kept hearing Christ, Christus. So it's like, this must be his last name. It's like Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, James Christ, Jesus Christ. But it wasn't a name, it was a title. The Hebrew word for Messiah, translated into Greek, is Christos. It's where we get the word Christ. And so people kept hearing this, this Christ and Jesus Christ, and they just thought, well, this must be his last name, because they weren't waiting for a Messiah. They weren't waiting for a Christ. They just talked about Christ. We worship Christ. We worship Jesus Christ. And so foreigners listened to that and thought, well, it must be his last name. Now, this next part It's interesting for those of you that sometimes you might think the Bible is this isolated document that doesn't necessarily connect with with, uh, history. This is Tacitus. Christians suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius, which is what the New Testament tells us, because at the time of Jesus' death, we're told that Tiberius was the emperor of Rome. At the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, and our translations just say Pontius Pilate. So Tacitus, he's writing in the first century, he's saying, hey, let me tell you something that happened down in Judea. This guy stirred up all of this trouble, but Pontius Pilate put him to death. Now, the, the point of this is, is that there's, we're outsiders, they're looking in into this movement, and they're trying to come up with a name for it, and they called these people Christians, but Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves something far more defined and far more humbling. One of the reasons you can't get 10 people to define Christian the same way, same way and why there are so many spinoffs and, and religions that, that come from Christianity, uh, the reason why there are Christians on both sides of every issue, uh, the, the reason why there are so many denominations and the reason why we can't seem to get along is because Christian and Christianity is not defined in the New Testament. You can be a Christian and believe and do just about anything, and nobody can go to the Bible and say, hey, you can't do that because it says right here, Christians shouldn't or Christians should because the New Testament doesn't say anything about Christian except three times. The first being the verse that I just read you. The second time, Peter, uh, he's talking about being persecuted as a Christian, bearing that name as an insult by outsiders. And then finally, Paul, he's on trial, and the king that is, is handling the trial, hearing his case, he says, you're not trying to turn me into a Christian, are you? It was a derogatory term. And so when you look at the New Testament and the book of Acts specifically, there's a term that's used very consistently to describe the people of the Jesus movement. It's a terrifying term. It's the word disciple. And the reason why it's a disturbing term is because it is so clearly defined. If you'd asked followers of Jesus, what are you? They wouldn't have said, I'm a Christian. They would have said, I'm a disciple. And this is a big deal. And this is why. And history proves it. You can hide behind Christianity or the term Christianity all day long. You can go to war 
in the name of Christianity. You can do all kinds of things and you can mistreat people in the name of Christianity. You can define it to fit what you want it to look like based on your proclivities and how you want to interpret things and your political leanings, and, but you open the New Testament and you lock in on disciple and everything changes. Now, what's a disciple? Well, the English word disciple has the same meaning as the Greek word disciple, mathetes, and it simply means a learner or a pupil or an apprentice or a follower. A disciple is a person that says, I need to make a decision. I need to make a life choice. Teacher, master, Lord, how would you handle this? That's how I'm going to handle it. I'm trying to decide how to respond to a situation. How would you respond to this situation? Then that's exactly how I'm going to respond to this situation. Uh, what are you going to do in this? That's what I'm going to do. Where are you going? Then that's exactly where I'm going to go. How would you react to this? How do you live your life? How do you manage relationships? Because that is how I'm going to react and live and manage my relationships. A disciple is a person that's looking to someone and saying, show me how to live my life. And the answer up front is yes. Like, like now, what do you think I should do? Whatever, before you say it, the answer is yes, just tell me what I should do. See, that's different than Christian. The word disciple is uncomfortable. I mean, in fact, if, if you're hoping, you may be hoping at the end of this message, I'm not going to, like my end point is, we are no longer using the term Christian. We're going to call ourselves disciples. Just, I'm not going to do that. It's like, oh, that would just be kind of weird. Well, that's kind of the point. See, the word disciple is uncomfortable. Here's another example. So the word of God spread. This is in Acts 6. So the word of God spread, and the number of, not Christians, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And then there's one uh, about the, the Apostle Paul, the one who persecuted the church. He murdered, had put people put in prison. He's trying to get rid of the church, and then he becomes a follower of Jesus. But the people who were followers of Jesus, they didn't trust him because they thought he's just trying to infiltrate our community so that he can have us arrested. When he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. And ladies, there were disciplettes in Acts 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple or disciplette named Tabitha, and she was always doing good in helping the poor. So my point thus far is that we can hide behind the term Christian. But if you look at the New Testament and ask this question, if you ask what were these people really about and how did they describe themselves, they referred to themselves and to each other as disciples. Which brings us to a very important question. And it's this. Am I a disciple or just a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus or just a fan of Jesus? Like, it doesn't matter what you ask of me. The answer is yes. Or are you just a Christian? Now, in the time that remains, I, I want to take us to a moment where Jesus speaks directly to the people that want to be his disciples and be his followers. That if you're really going to be my follower, if you really want to be my disciple, and it's not simply a Christian, here's the bottom line. And we talk about this a lot in this community. And if you grew up in church, what I'm about to read to you, you've heard or you've read a thousand times. But I'm telling you, this is part of the reason that we talk about it so much in this community. Because if the Christians had decided to forget Christian, I'm going to be a disciple, 
If we had gotten just this one element of Jesus' teaching right, uh, there probably wouldn't have been a first world war. There definitely wouldn't have been a second world war because Hitler used the banner of Christianity to justify that war and the extermination of millions of Jews. Uh, there would have been no civil war. Slavery in this country would have, would have been put, put to rest a long time ago, so there would have been no need for a civil rights movement in this nation if the followers of Jesus had actually followed not not even Ten Commands, not the whole New Testament, not everything the Apostle Paul taught. If we'd just gotten this one teaching of Jesus right, our, our world and certainly our nation would be different and would be better off. So here's the context. Jesus is at the end of his ministry. He's about to have his last Passover meal with his closest followers. G Judas has already gone off to betray him. He realizes I'm running out of time. So he says to the 11, he says, okay, here's the one thing you've got to get right. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. In other words, lean in, time's running out. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Guys, we had 12, we're down to 11, so let's get this out really quick before we're down to none. A new command I give you, love one another. And they're like, that's, that's not new. I mean, that's in our scriptures. We've even heard you, Jesus, say that before, love one another. And then he elaborates, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I. Hey, Matthew. Matthew, you remember when we met? Matthew, do you remember what you were doing when we met? And yes. Tax collector. Yeah, you were a traitor. You were a traitor to your people. Everybody hated you. Peter, do you remember the day we met, Matthew? Mm-hmm. Remember how you guys didn't even want to talk to Matthew because he was a traitor? He was a tax collector working for the occupying force of Rome? Yes, Remember where we went after we met Matthew? John, you remember where we went? Yeah, I remember. You remember who was, who was there? Yeah, all the people Mama said don't hang out with. All those people. And you took us to a party full of those people. And remember how I loved you, Matthew? Remember how I loved Matthew? Now, I want you to love each other that way. Nathaniel, remember the day we met, your brother came to you and said, Nathaniel, I met the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And you said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You dissed my entire family. And how did I treat you? I said, come on, follow me. You're one of my guys. That's how I want you to love each other. And remember what I did just a few minutes ago? I, I, I took off my, 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 my priest, my, my, my rabbi robes, and I, I put a towel around my waist, and I washed your filthy feet. That's how I want you to love one another. And in the next 24 hours, if you could see all that's going to happen, that I am going to, to die, not for my rebellion, but for yours. Not because you deserve it, but because you need it. Now that's how I want you to love one another. That's what I want to characterize your relationship with each other. And then he said, by this, by this one thing, by this one dynamic, by this, everyone will know that you are my, what's the next word? Disciple. See, we can all be Christians, but to love each other the way Jesus has called us to love, to love each other as Jesus loved those guys, 
I can't, I can't tell you how many Christians that I've sat with and had coffee with and talked with and then and inside I just, I get so both discouraged and enraged and frustrated and everything in between because as we get into this conversation, it becomes clear quickly that they, they really enjoy just getting into the deep weeds of doctrine and theology and exegeting and diagramming sentences and the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic and, and there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, they can be extremely valuable. But for them, it's, it's, it's more than that for them. And deep down, you can sense it. You can smell it. It's that they value, enjoy, they value or enjoy being known for their deep understanding or knowledge of the Bible and grasping and, and correct interpretation. And, and though they'd never say it, you can tell. You can smell it. You can just smell it just reeks of arrogance and self-righteousness. And for far too many, it's just a smokescreen. It's a smokescreen and a distraction to actually doing the main thing. To be known for the one thing, the one thing, by this one thing that Jesus said that everyone will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. So I, I know nearly all of you are Christians, but are you a disciple? Jesus tells his closest followers that, that I'm going I'm going, and in all your brokenness, your broken past, your broken now, I want you to create a community. I want you to create a community of people that are defined and characterized by that kind of unconditional, generous, compassionate, sacrificial, ridiculous, who in the world loves that way kind of love. I want people to be able to come to the edge of your community and look in and say, look how the men treat the women. Look how the women treat the men. Look, look, look how they treat their widows. Look how they treat sick people. Wow. Look how they even honor their children. Look how generous they are with their money. Look at them love. Jesus says, I want you to go and build communities like that. And they're going to grow and they're going to expand. And people from the outside, they're going to be drawn to the edge and go, you know, I don't know if I want to become one, but I'd like to work for one. I don't know if I want to become one, but I would hire all of them that I could because they're the most honest, hardworking, loyal people, and they play well with, the, with others. These followers of Jesus, these disciples, they're, they're kind of odd, and they think Jesus is divine, but man, I tell you what, when they mess up, they immediately take responsibility. You don't have to find out after the fact. They're generous to a fault. They're willing to do the right thing, even though it might cost them financially. I don't know if I would want to be one, but I would love to think that someone would treat my daughter like the, the way those men treat their wives. I don't know if I'd want to be one, but I would love to think that my son would marry a woman who would honor her husband the way those women honor their husbands. I mean, can you imagine if we just got this one thing right? If we decided to forget Christian, I'm going to be a follower. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. And you know what? I, I'm going to start loving the people around me, at least the people that name the name of Jesus. I'm going to start loving them the way Jesus loved them, loves them, and the way that Jesus treated those that followed him. I mean, can you imagine where our neighborhood or city or world, what our nation would become if we got this one thing right? Not how long you pray, though prayer matters. Not, not, not do you have all the books of the Bible memorized, though studying the Bible is important and valuable. Not how loud you preach to others. Not what you do on Sunday, but how you love each other. Now we're going to jump to a different subject next week. But before we leave today, I just want to say two things.
Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, like I, I know, I know like your parents, your parents haven't had an original thought since like 1960 or maybe 1990. Uh, I know your wife drives you crazy, your husband's a mess, your teenagers are teenagers, and your young adult children are wandering. And sometimes, especially if you're a red or a blue, a choleric or melancholy, you're convinced you're surrounded by idiots, right? Like, so everybody's an idiot, but you, you're the only balanced person that you know. I recognize that. Uh, but what would it look like? What would it look like in your world, in your world, to love those people that God has put in your life, to love those that are difficult to love like sometimes you're difficult to love. You may not realize that, but what would it look like to love them the way that Jesus loves you? What if just for the next 10 days, you just decided, okay, I'm not going to take my cues from anyone around me or how they treat me. I'm going to, by the best of my ability, I'm going to be a ridiculous lover of people. To put a simple question to it, in every situation for the next 10 days, I'm going to let myself be guided 100% by this question. What does love require of me? Not do they deserve it, not how do I feel about them, not what have they done for me lately, but simply when it comes to my boyfriend or my girlfriend, my husband, my wife, my coworker, my fellow student, my teacher, my professor, uh, my boss, what does love require of me? Now, hopefully you know this, for those of you that are regulars, every week is about me uh, or whoever's speaking from stage trying to unpack the teachings of Jesus and the writings of Scripture in such a way that is simple, understandable, and applicable. And I'm never going to apologize for that. Our goal every week is to actually be able to understand and apply what we learn from Jesus, what we learn from Scripture. And, you, and with this, you have nothing to lose. So why don't you try it? In fact, don't even tell anybody that you're going to do it. Just do it. For the next 10 days, just, just start, what does love require of me? And then do that and just watch it as people start to freak out that know you. Like, what is up with you? Just don't even tell them. Now, it's, just so you know, it's not necessarily going to work out. Maybe there's a relationship that's a difficult one and you're, I'm going to start showing love in this. Uh, it's not necessarily going to work out. I mean, Jesus was crucified right? So what I mean is it like you may do this and, and, I, and I, you may do this and I hope you do, but there's no guarantee that good's going to come back your way. This isn't like, okay, I'm going to do this for 10 days and I'm going to fix my wife. You know, I'm going to do this for 10 days. I'm going to fix my husband or my kid or whatever relationship it is or, you know, my mom. No, this isn't a means to an end. This is about you doing something to get something. This, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is way better than Christianity. And we'll see in a few weeks how disciples, not Christians, change the world. How a world that was not that much different from ours completely changed. How an empire was toppled without an army or raising a sword or a shield. And the second thing I want to say is for those of you that, that you, you tend, and maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, uh, but you're here, you're listening, and you tend to think Christians are narrow-minded, homophobic, greedy, and judgmental, like kind of hope everybody else goes to hell but me, and more room for me. Like, like if, if, if I'd seen and experienced what you experienced, grown up in the family you grew up in, been around the church environment that you grew, grew up in, then I might feel exactly the same way. I don't judge that. But here, here's all I hope, and this is what I deeply hope and why we started this community, is that 
that with all that people have seen and experienced and with all the hesitation that they might feel that they won't miss Jesus. They won't miss Jesus. I would hate this because Christianity has been so poorly represented that someone would miss Jesus and what Jesus has done for them and what he offers. Because as I read the New Testament and as I read the Gospels, it's clear that he came that we all might have life and have it abundantly. And the thing that you or someone you know may hate about Christians, ironically, is part of what we all hate about ourselves no matter what we believe. And it's this, that we all fall short, not of just God's standards, we all fall short of our own standards. I mean, we're, we're not even consistent with what we believe all the time. And people that don't even believe in Jesus or believe that there's a God, they're not even consistent with what they believe. So there's common ground with Christians and non-Christians. And we've got to figure it out. We've got to figure out why is it sometimes I'm my own worst enemy. And what do we do? What do we do with our sin and with our disappointment, even with ourselves? So I hope all of you will come back, that you'll bring a friend next week. And as we just continue this series, Christian Confusion, let's pray. God, I, I thank you for this morning. I, again, we, we celebrate that one of our communities, Ann uh, and Ash, and two of our communities, Ann and Ashley, uh, are just enjoying this weekend now as husband and wife and pray that you refresh them and we look forward to their return. But God, uh, I pray for all of us. Very specifically, over the next several days, that God, we would put it to the test and that we would live it out. That we would begin to show love as you have loved us. That you would help us to be honest about our selfishness and our self-interest and God, the times that we just prioritize ourselves over other people. God, it's a very difficult thing, but I just thank you that we have Jesus, that we have these writings, that we're able to know what it looks like to love others the way you have loved us. And I pray, God, for those of us that would have the courage to reach into some difficult or strained relationships, that God, that you would already be preparing the way, that there actually would be reconciliation and healing and a good response. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.